Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode number 54 for Monday, February 29th, 2016. folks and welcome to gig gab the show for working musicians podcast show for working musicians podcast that just rolls off the tongue too easy the show (laughs) for working musicians by working musicians it's what we do it's what you do maybe and uh we come here and talk about it every week here in durham new hampshire i'm dave hamilton and here in Los Gatos. Now you got me all messed up here. <laughs> here in Los Gatos, California, it's Paul Kent. Yeah, we'll stumble through this intro and then we're here. There we are. It's perfect. We got it all out of the way. Good. That's right. Yeah. Professional business. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So this is definitely the first show we've ever done on February 29th. Uh, I'd like to say it won't be the last, but you know, we record on Monday, so it's possible another February 29th will come around and we'll just never do a show on that day. So there you go. How was your weekend, Paul? I had a nice mellow weekend. I had a couple of acoustic gigs. I had one real nice one. I got an outdoor acoustic gig in in February, which was kind of nice, beautiful night. And then I actually, uh, you know, to offer up a little humble pie here, the next night I had another acoustic gig and I really, I had probably had my worst draw in years. And it was, it was a real big range of emotions. It was a very much get your feet back down, down on the ground. You yep. remember you know, this happens sometimes and be careful how great you think you are, you know, or, or how much influence you think you might have, uh, it, cause it's going to happen. Your number is going to come up and then you're going to get a draw that's less than what you think. So all through the show, I was like very like aware, you know, I, it, it was, it was hard to stay focused and perform as well as I could. And still, um, you know, cause in the back of my head, I was like, Oh my God, nobody ever is going to come see me again. Yeah. So it was, it was an interesting thing, but you know, I got a couple of nice notes from the people who were there afterwards. And, and, uh, one of a friend of mine who's a musician was there. He said, you know, that's really hard to do when you have an empty room and, uh, and to play and, you know, stay focused. He goes, you did a good job. So, you know, I got by with a little help from my friend, so to speak. And, but, um, I just remember you can't, rest on your laurels i gotta get stay on the promotional bandwagon and keep working and keep working and you know make my show better and make my show better and so there's always work to do yeah that's a it's a humbling thing and it's good when it's humbling right i mean i i I, playing in an original band for years and years we had plenty of uh, especially as we were starting out, had plenty of of empty room shows, and I've even had those with cover bands. I mean, like you said, it just sometimes the you know the 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 forces of nature conspire against you, or just the way it works. You know, you take a gig, you don't realize it's the Saturday before Easter, and suddenly, Saturday. hey, oh, this sucks. <laughs> There's nobody here. But, Not exactly, so, but yeah, I mean, you you know, you just like you said, you just got to power through it, and it is a good. Uh, it's a good experience, right? Because you you know that you have to deliver your best performance, even though there's only two people hearing it. And sometimes it's only the bartenders. You know, I mean, I've I've been there. It's, it's happened. I think you actually get huge props if you work just as hard for one person as you do for a hundred people. I think I think that helps build your reputation as someone who's you know really. Um, a solid professional, a dedicated professional, dedicated to their craft. So, you know, I, I had you know maybe. 15 people in the room, yep. you know, for the night. And I brought about 10 of them. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the, the venue didn't help a whole lot that night, but, um, you know, uh, 
once you get over the self-doubt voice that starts speaking to you in the back of your head, um, you realize, all right, this is what I signed up for. This is what happens to musicians sometimes. And this is what differentiates the guys who, who, um, who don't, don't get what they, you know, they, they think it's going to be a different thing, you know, all the time glory. And I guess, to, you know, at least the way I'm wired, once I kind of let that little self-doubting voice kind of pass through, I was like, all right, man, I got to get back to work. I, my show's got to be better. And whoever comes to see me needs to go out and tell three people next time. And, you know, all those types of things. So I, I just kind of got determined once the disappointment passed. Yeah. Well, and it also, I mean, I'll take it a step further and say, it, you know, you got to play for the sake of playing. Right. And and there's something to be said for that. Right. To see where that settles in for you, because you can't always guarantee that there's going to be a crowd. And, yeah, you need to play to the crowd when there is one there. But you're also, you know, you're playing for you. You're I mean, the reason you do this is but I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'll put words in my mouth. The reason I do this is not because there's people out there. I do it because I love to do it, Mm. you know. People is just a little bit of a validation. It's not, it's not because there are people there, but that people are there validates the effort that you put in. And you know, you're right. uh, Your mind goes to interesting places when you're not focused on, remember it's so-and-so's birthday or so-and-so likes this song. Right. So when you really are left, you know, you in a room and you're really focused on listening to what you're doing and thinking about stuff, it is interesting. I mean, you take, I like personally, I took a couple of chances. Yeah, exactly. uh, Right. You know, played a couple of things that I wouldn't ordinarily have played, did a couple of vocal things I wouldn't ordinarily have done. And you know, it, was uh i guess this is the thing you, you know we're all kind of fragile at, at some degree right you know we all want to be appreciated for the music we make and we all want to you know do a good job at it and um if you can go to a place where you can find positive in the face of negative which i guess this is kind of a universal truth i mean sure. if you can find good things to take from a difficult situation it can only help make you better so yep. I don't know. I, I, I'm not promising next time I come on a show, if nobody comes to see me, I won't be weeping. But, um, <laughs> but I, I mean, I, this is, this was kind of my reflection is, yeah. you know, uh, this, this actually is part of what you signed up for and what you do when there's just a couple people in the room says maybe more about you than what you do. It's easy to do it when the ener- when the crowd is giving you energy. Um, it's, it's, can you make one person's night if or 10 yeah. people's night? It's, it's, can you be just as focused and just as committed to entertaining and, you know, moving somebody with music regardless of how many people's in the room? At least that's the way I feel about it. Yeah. Well, and, and like you said, you get an opportunity to take some chances. I mean, I, it, I've always said anytime I'm in a situation where it's a, like low crowd, no crowd kind of thing. It's like, well, you know what? We're set up, paid rehearsal. I mean, hopefully paid rehearsal, maybe, mm. maybe a free rehearsal, but <laughs> you know, there you go. Right. And it's, it's not a bad thing. It's, um, you know, cause you kind of, you can put it all into perspective. And like you said, I mean, sometimes when you got to remember that it's so-and-so's birthday and you've got the vibe of the, the show going, you can't take that chance and play maybe that mid tempo tune that you sometimes might just want to play for you. It, you know, you, you can't break the flow. Uh, of a of a night and do that and he's like you know what here an opportunity knocks here we go yeah. i can i can do that and it's not going to break the flow because there's no flow you but know? like you said at the end of the day you're playing music which beats a you know yeah. a poke in the eye with a stick any night of the week any night of the week yeah absolutely absolutely so i was um i was away this week so i didn't have any gigs but um i have been you know i mentioned we're recording and that means i'm set up to record and 
it's been fantastic, actually, in so many ways having, I, I mean, I can, like, like I said during the show last week, I can, you know, within 30 seconds, I can be tracking at my drums at any point in time. In fact, the other night, uh, my son and I were going to, uh, it was the night we, right after we got home and we had a hockey game to go to. And we had to make dinner before the game, but I knew we had about 10 minutes. Actually, we had about eight minutes before we were going to start making dinner. And I thought, oh, you know, there's this one drum track I want to lay. And so I just ran over here to the studio and I recorded it. And it's about a four minute song. And uh, and that was that, you, you know, I mean, I took one take through it and, and mm-hmm. then I was done. And because uh, it was just, it was a song I'd played before and I'd, I had a different idea for it. And it's cool to be able to do this. And so even when I'm not intentionally here to, you know, track something for this stuff that we're recording with playing. I've been recording when I practice and I've been learning so much, you know, I'll take, even if I'm just playing my drums along to, you know, songs on, on my iPod or whatever, I just record it and I listen back and it's like, Oh man, you, I mean, you hear all this extra stuff mm-hmm. and it's been such a learning experience. E- and even with, even vocally, I was tweaking, uh, you know, I've been using uh, logic pro 10, to do our fling recordings. And the other night I sang a harmony. Actually, it was a couple of weeks ago. I sang a harmony. I was not warmed up at all. It's one of the highest harmonies I wind up singing in, certainly in our original tunes and maybe even just in any of our tunes. And as soon as I went up to sing it, I was like, whoa, I, like, you know, I really shouldn't, I have no business doing this. But I, I, I did it anyway because we just wanted to get stuff down. We were kind of moving quickly. We wanted to get, you know, a kind of a, a foundation of a track down. I was like, that's fine, whatever. I can come back and do it. And so actually earlier today, I was looking at that harmony. I hadn't resung it yet. And I wanted to learn about uh, Logic's, it's kind of their auto-tune, but it's not auto-tune. It's their adjustable tuning, flex, flex pitch is what they call it. And I was messing around with it. And, and, and first of all, the way Logic does this is awesome. I mean, you, you basically have a piano keyboard and you can adjust everything about it's not just the pitch i can adjust the amount of vibrato it has mm. i can adjust pitch drift on a, a long held note and there were some of those in this thing and so it was really cool just to play around with it but as i'm looking at it it kind of does a you tell it all right analyze this track and it does and you know it takes whatever four seconds to analyze the track and then it kind of lays all this stuff on it and you can you know start tweaking all these little handles and and moving stuff around but you get to see what's happened, you know, as you sing. And it's like, oh, you know what? It's Every, a lot of information, man. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of information. You're like, look at that. Like that note, I can hold no problem. But then this one, which is even lower than that one, when I hold it as I cut off, I'm like dipping or, you know, like these little things. And I could see it repeating itself, It, you know, as I kind of marched through the tune. It's like, whoa, I got to watch that. I got to, you know, support this better. Just so much you can learn. Uh, from recording yourself, even if you're not, even if there's no end goal in mind of, you know, releasing a recording, I, I you know, I, I, um, and maybe, maybe a lot of folks do this and, uh, and I'm late to the party, but if, if you have, if, if you don't have an easy way to record yourself, it's worth taking the time and maybe spending a little bit of money to get an interface for your computer or whatever, you know, the software is mostly free, uh, you know, for less than 50 bucks, you can get what you would need for really any instrument. I mean, even if you're recording drums, you don't need to have a lot of stuff, just a couple of microphones and you're good to go, you know, and you might have those already. Uh, having something set up where you can record when you practice is really helpful because you, you know, you can, you know, when you should go and listen back and you know, it's, it's worth doing those little spot checks because you'll learn a lot. 
For sure. So I, I think I told you that one of the things that I do to prep, one of the nice things about doing cover tunes, although I, I you know, with an inexpensive recording technology, you really could do this with anything. But with cover tunes, I'll actually um, grab a karaoke track mm. and, you know, import it right into GarageBand and then sing. And then what I'll do is I'll take a lyric sheet. And as I'm listening back to my singing, I'll actually highlight the words or phrases that I'm not happy with. So I kind of have a, a, a battle plan about how to go back in and do it. And then I'll just listen to it over and over without the instrumentation track and just yeah. kind of everything from where you're taking breaths to, you know, your inflection or over inflection or, or you know, any of the types of things, tone. It, it, it's interesting when you were saying what you were saying about, about recording yourself, I was thinking about, you know, on, on YouTube, there's a fairly good collection of um, isolated vocal tracks of famous songs these days, right? Yeah, it's, so the, it's and, humbling, man. Well, it is. And, and well, my depending point was, on the tune. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. that's it, it. So and most of these were before any of that technology existed. And there is um, Bowie and Freddie Mercury doing Under Pressure. That's humbling. I mean, if you want to talk about Freddie Mercury's just crazy spot on pitch, you know, yeah. spot on tone totally untouched is just really fantastic. I agree. It's, it's it kind of, it's humbling and it's what you aspire to. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I wound up digging into a lot of that stuff with the Beatles because you right. know, a lot of those tracks are out. Right. Like, Holy crap. You know, you, you, you have to remind yourself auto tune didn't exist. You, you know, punching in and out wasn't, you can do, you could do it, but it wasn't, you know, as clean as it was today. So most of these tracks they didn't go back and like fix tiny little things. They might re-sing an entire phrase, but even that, maybe not so much. You know, those guys yeah, one, were talented. And yeah. and recording time was expensive. And, True. and uh, I mean, I think about the story about um, uh, Steely Dan. Oh, I can't remember the, the guitarist, but the, the guy who did uh, Bodhisattva, that's a one take solo, which is just yeah. <laughs> numbing to me, man. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, and that's the thing. And, you, you know, um, along those lines, you you said last week, beware the red light syndrome. Right. And 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 you're totally right. You know, when you're in the studio, you can just get like you, you do get too inside your head. Well, having the ability to just record at any time, I don't suffer red light syndrome at all with this project we're doing with Fling because it's like, well, I'll just go and bash this out before I cook dinner. And then I kind of listened back while I was cooking dinner. I was like, oh, OK, yeah, I kind of like this. You know, wow, actually, you know what? That take might be the one. But there was no pressure for it to be the one, you know, right. and it, it, it helps. It, it's pretty amazing what we get. So to this four days. minute song that you did, how many how many things did you notice that, that uh, you needed to change? Uh, on that, on, on the tune that I recorded before dinner, actually, that yeah. take was pretty much perfect, I think. Although wow. I, I well, I got to listen back with a click. I, I didn't. I mean, I recorded with a click, but I haven't listened back with the, you know, with the with the click going to make sure that like transitions especially were right where they need to be. But as long as that stuff's there, I mean, it sounded good. We've got we've got some basic, you know, bass and guitar tracks down and a, a kind of a, a rough vocal. So uh, with all that, it sounded good. You know, that's cool. Yeah. Get, a four, get a whole four minute song that you're pretty happy with. That's a pretty rare thing. Yeah. 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 No, it's it's you. it's good. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, you know, and, and I mean, a lot of that is just being used to playing with a click. But but the other part is, like I said, no pressure like because I can do it again. It's no, it's just not a big deal. It's I don't right. it doesn't take 20 minutes to get set up. Y you know, there's no production. Uh, to, I think to I think set. the question I'm asking for is, is of you getting more into recording lately. What are you learning about your playing? Uh, I'm learning that, well, I mean, there's positives and negatives, right? I'm learning that my 
time, especially when a click is going, is pretty good. Uh, I don't have to worry about it. It just kind of, I mean, there's times when I'll play a fill or whatever. Uh, I've learned that, speaking of fills, that my fills are extremely predictable. Now, that's hard. That, that I have to qualify that by saying they're predictable to me because I play them. But but they, they get repetitive. And so I started thinking about, well, should I, you know, mix this up as I, you know, as I play the same fill into the chorus three different times? Should I change it and, and morph that a little bit and be a little more deliberate about not just playing what automatically comes out? Uh, so there's some, you know, some of that stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, it's it's good. You know, it's, it's been good. Cool. Yeah, it's fun. I, I like it. You just, you know, and, and things like being, uh, you know, intentionally kind of being sure to, to communicate the, the groove, like, you know, the, with every instrument, not just with kick and snare, but, you know, really driving that groove with the ride cymbal, not necessarily playing harder, but just playing more precisely. Um, you know, that stuff comes out when you're listening to a recording and it, it, you wouldn't necessarily hear it live. But I think it helps kind of define things live. And it, you know, you clean it. My playing is cleaning up quite a bit when, as I'm listening back, it's like, Oh, you know, those little ghost notes that I do on the snare in there. Mm -hmm. I should not do as many of those, you know, that, that stuff kind of, it kind of sounds messy. It, 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 I I need to clean a little of that up. Some of it's good, but some of it's like, nah, not so much. No, I can, you know, I can simplify that. I can add some complexity here and, and really just kind of, you know, learning these nuances, little, little tweaks, which is and good. I would, think that, I would think that that cleaning up thing is probably like any instrument, a guitar player, you know, hitting an extra string on something or, you know, all the types of things that you do. That kind of focus, that accuracy counts is, uh, is a really valuable thing, yes. especially when recording. I mean, right. if you want to go record your demo, you know, it's, you can sound good or you cannot sound good. And a lot of time. It's, it's those little things. It's the extra stuff that you didn't intend to do, but you're too lazy to move out. Yep. A lot of times that's the difference between a professional sounding recording and, and, uh, and just an average sounding recording. Yeah. And I think it, it, it translates to live performance as well. You know, if you can play a little cleaner and more intentionally, it, you know, it, it cleans it up, leaves more space for the other instruments while still letting you be you. You, you yeah. know what I mean? It's, it, there's, it, it, it's this whole big circle. You're just a better player as you, you know. I mean, practice makes perfect. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I don't right. know if it makes perfect, but practice makes better. <laughs> so. it, it puts you on the path to perfect. Yeah, there you go. So what so, else we got today? Well, you just said, you know, it makes you, you. And, and that, it brings up an interesting conversation that I've been having in my group lately because I've been sharing. We've been adding a lot of new material. And in this new material, uh, sometimes it opens up discussions. And there's a phrase that's going around in my group right now that is really interesting. And I think that would be fun to share with people. So the phrase is, um, we have to be true to who we are. We have to be who we are. And the funny thing about this, so, so in, in the context of this is, like I've said, you know, we're 10-piece band, five horns. We add horns to um, a lot of music, like rock songs that don't already have horns. Um, and then we play a lot of like 60s soul. We play a lot of funk um, and we play like some Tower of Power stuff. And, you know, our repertoire, you know, what we do to songs is usually pretty interesting. But we have a lot of classic rock, a little bit of newer stuff, very little, you know, five or six songs, like a couple of Bruno Mars songs. Yes. Um, a lot of Stevie Wonder, a lot of Earth, Wind and Fire, Tower of Power. Um, so we're going through this and this desire to stretch 
and entertain. And so everybody kind of has different perspectives of you know what, what that is. And so I thought it'd be kind of an interesting thing to talk about, you know, and I've, I've used this term since we started this podcast that what's important for success is truth. But truth can, you know, depending upon who's, it, it, there's different optics into truth depending upon who's seeing a situation. So right now, you know, we're experimenting with kind of a country rockish type of song. Uh, and uh, we're going to put some some rap interludes into it. And some guys are like, that's not who we are. And, you know, we we have four or five or six recent chart top 40 type stuff. And there's factions of the band that are like, you know, we're not we're not a modern. We're not like a wedding band that does, you know, whatever it takes. And so there's that vision of who we are. There's there's. It's funny because all the guys in my group who are saying this, they have different visions of who we are. And so uh, all valid, all absolutely valid. It's who we are to them. And me as the leader of the group, you know, my perspective is we are uh, we are in a pretty good situation here in our area that we can play a lot of stuff and we can go over. We don't try to be the Backstreet Boys. We don't try to be Britney Spears. But if we take a snippet of a song there, it's for... It's like to give a nod that it's all music. And as long as you play it right, um, it has it has value. And so I thought I'd get your opinion on this and, you know, kind of ask a couple of questions about it. But and I, with classic rock in particular, there's a lot of you know cover bands, I would say predominantly are classic rock cover bands. Right. A lot of people feel very religious about it, that it's important we play this music and play it right because we're the last people keeping it alive or, you know, whatever the whatever the philosophy is on this type of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, and a lot of people have very deep religious thoughts that their music, which they're so passionate about, um, is uh, you need to treat it in a certain way. So I don't know. In any of your groups, have you ever have you ever heard this phrase? We have to be who we are. Yeah, my um, my I, I. My answer to this uh, is usually when I draw upon Warren Oates and uh, in, in one of my favorite characters of his, which was Sergeant Hulka in in Stripes, where where he delivered a very, very fitting line for a lot of aspects of life. And that was lighten up, Francis, <laughs> uh, you, you know, because it really it, it, I, I get it. I get why people would say this. And I've been there, but it, you you just got to have fun, right? And if, it, if you're playing music and if you b- want to put yourself in a box, I, you know, I probably don't want to play with you. Y- you know what I mean? It's like, I, I and, but, but there's a difference between playing something that's not fitting for you and not being willing to play something, right? There, there, there is a difference and you have to be able to recognize that. And maybe that's what we're talking about here. But I think the difference is try it. Right. I mean, it just play it, you know, and play it in rehearsal, maybe even play it for a couple of gigs. See how it feels. Kind of get rid of whatever hang ups you might have about a tune, positive or negative. Right. Because you can have a tune that you are just so gung ho about and you wind up playing it a couple of times. You're like, well, this just isn't working. You got to let it go, you know, and just being objective about did this work for our band in this scenario? And if the answer is yes, play it. And if the well, answer is no, don't play it. There you go. So, so well, what I'm taking from what you're saying is if you have this, this concept of the truth, 
can you find your way to the truth? So yeah. you know, if, you're, if you're a band, you know, of, uh, of 70 year old Grateful Dead fans, um, musicians, uh, throws out a Britney Spears cover song. Clearly you're not going to look or sound or be like Britney Spears. Correct. But is there some truth in that music that you can extract that? And then that's actually the journey that I find very, very fun. So I know when we play a Bruno Mars song or something new, a, a different demographic turns around from the bar and listens to us for a couple of seconds. And again, we never, ever, you know, we never pander to trying to, you know, we, we, we take it all very seriously. I mean, we play a song, it's called Domino by this artist, Jesse J, not the Van Morrison song, but yeah. you know, so it's this, you know, 20 something year old girl singing kind of a poppy song. Right. But we do it our way and we have a killer horn chart to it. And Nick sings the hell out of it. And it goes over because I think my opinion, my truth is that it goes over because we're taking a catchy song with a great riff. We made it our own, but distinguishable enough that you, you know, you understand where it comes from. Right. And it puts a smile on people's face. So you just play the song, play that's the what, song. That's what you got to do. And, and that, I, that's really, it, it, no matter whether if it's your favorite song or if it's a song you never listened to, if somebody in the band wants to play it, just play the song, it, you know, and, and play it the best that you can and see what happens. I mean, we play a, a Spice Girls tune and fling that we've played for a long time. Now it's one of Russ's favorite bands. He likes the Spice Girls. Uh, and it doesn't matter why he likes the Spice Girls. You know, it's just like it's a good tune. So it's like, OK, let's let's just play it. Now, obviously, we're not going to sing it like the Spice Girls. That's right. I mean, it's just not we are not capable of that, uh, you know, for better or for worse. I don't know. But that's, that's just true. <laughs> well, maybe I don't know. Yeah. But that's that, that's the truth. Right. Is we're not going to sing it like the Spice Girls. So we sing it like we sing it. Yeah. And 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 this one works. Now, we've tried other things. And sometimes it doesn't work, but you, you know, if you're willing to just let the band play it as the band that, and that's the, that's the hardest part, probably harder when it's a song that you really like versus a song that maybe you would never listen to. Right. I mean, it's you know, the Spice Girl tune. I, I'm, I'm sure I had heard it before, but I'm not a Spice Girls fan. So I don't have their, disc, you know, their entire catalog here. Uh, but you know, I listened to it once or twice. It's like, okay, I get the form of this. I get how it flows. Great. Now let's play it and see how we do it. Uh, but I had no hangups about, oh, well, there's that one little thing that the Spice Girls do that we have to get exactly right. If you try, start trying to do that, it, you know, it fails. That's why a lot of Grateful Dead fan uh, uh, songs fail for us in Fling because Burke is a huge deadhead and he really, you know, he has an emotional attachment, an understandable emotional attachment to the way the Grateful Dead plays these songs or played these songs. Right. And if we aren't playing them that way, he gets all, uh, uh, he's just upset. I mean, he's not like, he doesn't throw a hissy fit or anything, but he's like, Oh, we got to get this part right. And this part, right. And this part, right. And finally it's like, yeah, you know what? It's never going to be that because we're not those guys. We're these guys. And we kind of have to just play it as us. And if it works and some of them work, like we play Scarlet Begonias and that one, you know, we were able to flingify it and it's good. It's, yeah. And it's not like we intentionally change it and, you know, modify the groove, but just the way these five guys play this song is how it comes out. And yeah, sometimes it's like, oh, you know, you're playing the wrong part here or whatever. Let's tweak it. But if you say you have to play it exactly, you have to play the solo exactly like Jerry Garcia. Well, but, you know, he's not Jerry Garcia, so right. it's not going to happen. You know, I mean, imagine you go through that with Bruce Tunes. 
I've, I've never been through it because I rarely will suggest songs. I learned a long time ago uh, that I just don't suggest songs from bands that I really like to listen to uh, largely because, you know, when I was growing up, I mean, I was listening to a lot of rush and ELP and, and those types of things at that point weren't really applicable to most cover bands. I'd play some rush tunes with people every now and then, but never played in a band where we played them out. And I, eventually I did, I, I played and that was, it was fine. But, uh, but you know, it, it's, it's okay to just, you got to kind of let it go. You got to, you know, you got to hand the song to the band and, and, and let it be that. And well, then this is the thing about the killing. truth is yeah. in the search there. So it has to be joint joy yes. for everyone in the band. And the, the issue is, is if the guy and using me and Bruce songs is a, is a pretty good example. And it's the same. And I've actually found my line moves has moved a little farther than I thought it would move. It was really hard for me to play Bruce songs because there would be fills yeah. or space or something that to me, you know, were the subtle, cool parts of a song. Um, you know too much about them. I know too much about them. But as we've played some of these things, A, I, uh, the guys know how important it is to me and that they make the effort to get in the ballpark actually has really changed my head on this quite a bit. And then B, the songs still go over. And I can and at the end of the day, if you're a performing musician, the audience really is the best. You know, trust the audience, you'll get the feedback that you need. But I get it, you know, dead stuff is a such a unique style. But I would say, like truth, religion, be careful about how tightly you hold on to stuff. Yep. You know, you, you might be missing the rest of the world if you're holding on to things just too tightly. You know, there's we're all learning all the time. And um you know, a different solo, unless it's like a signature line that has a melody that everybody knows. Well, that's different. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't change the melody of the tune intentionally. I mean, sometimes you might have to, to, to sing a part or whatever, but, uh, but you know, yeah, just play it. But yeah, solo is different than sometimes, you know, a solo and a lead melody can be two different things. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even genres of music, I, I have actually found, especially being out and playing, and you know, I, I play in a club that's all the clubs we play in. The audience is kind of the demographic of people who know most of our stuff, but they appreciate when we go someplace different. You know, we right. we we played the Begonia Festival, and uh, we played Scarlet Begonias, and it was not a normal thing that we played, but it was it was a fun thing. Sure, we have this really long Prince song that we've been working on a new song for us this year called DMSR dance music, sex romance. Yep. Um, very, you know, it, it's a simple song and structure, but there's a, there's a lot of, it's kind of breakdowns. It's Prince. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and we took a live version of it and he throws in this Beyonce lick and it just makes the song pop in a whole new way, which is really, really fun. So I, I, it's this concept of the truth, you know, at the end, the, the, the unifying truth to me is we're making music and we're trying to, you know, make people move their behinds a little bit. And if, if, if you, if you're like many things in life, if your feet are so stuck that you can't turn around and see different perspectives on things, you possibly could miss opportunities, you know, to make your, make yourself grow and make other people's happy. So that's, that's, Oh, that's a great way to say it. Yeah. And, and that can be stuck in knowing that you hate a song or knowing that you love a song only a certain way. Right. I mean, it's that, that, that's true on both sides of that coin. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. All right. So that's just, just, I just had to get that one out of my head just because it's an interesting thing that I'm living through right now. Every cover again, band it, lives there. Every well, band exactly. lives through it. Every it's band. A, it's not, yeah. Covers, originals. I mean, it's all of it. Yeah. 
Yeah. The, and and, and the, the statement comes from a desire for truth, that they find a certain amount of unique value in, in, a, in a perceived way of doing things. But, uh, you know, I think one of my roles What's as a leader. A, it's not you know, a desire for truth. It's it's no, no thinking that you already know the truth. Mm. That's the problem. Is Depending a, upon who's saying it, we should be fair. Oh, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, some people are like, listen, we, we're, we're providing this unique value in the world. And that value is very important. That comes from a pure place where somebody sure. is trying no, to do well. But I just mean specifically about a song. Like, I know this song won't work for our band or I know this song will work. It's like, wow, that's, you, you, you know, huh? Maybe we yeah. don't even want to touch that now. You know, <laughs> there's, there's too much hanging on this. Yeah. 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 All right. So I got one other thing to talk to you about. It's kind of a funny topic. Okay. I call this uh, honor among thieves. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are, are we the, are we the thieves? <laughs> I, I, I'm going to put all, all musicians in the scoundrel bucket for this and just, okay. we're going to do a little reality check here. So the concept is, um, if you ascribe to the concept that there are a fixed amount of gigs in your geographic location, and we've talked about, community in the past and about, you know, fostering a community of bands and, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. The question is this, would you go after a gig that a friend of yours bands already has? Right. So would you it, 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 like not just I see my friend's band playing, you know, once every two months at this club, I would also like to play there. But you're asking, would I do something to bounce them out so that I could have the gig? Yeah, your friend has a house band gig every Friday night at a certain thing. Would you call them and say, hey, when you're ready to try another band, you know, give my band a look. Or, you know, there's a festival that uh, a friend of yours band has um, has played pretty often, um, you know, or, or played or you de- all you know is that they definitely played it the last year. You, you haven't you haven't talked about anything else. Would you call and say, hey, you know, give us a try this year. Honor Among Thieves. Um. You know, it, well, the, the easy part for me, the cop out in this conversation would be, well, you know, I don't book a lot of the gigs for the bands that I'm in, but, but, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, But because of that, I sort of have to speak hypothetically because I don't book a lot of the gigs, but I do suggest like, you know, in any of the bands, I mean, Hey, you know, look, this club's having bands. We should, you know, check it out or, you know, whatever. I mean, we, you know, we all talk about these things. Have I ever, suggested that we go and get a gig that another band has and bounce them out of the way. Probably I I, I wouldn't be against it. I can't think of a specific uh, instance, but that's only because you're putting me on the spot. I'm sure, I'm sure one exists. And I would imagine it's how close a relationship you have with the other band, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it would be. That's right. If, if they're truly friends, I would be a lot less, um, but a lot less likely to do that. But, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, having that arm's length thing, it's like, uh, you know what? I can't go and ask for that gig, but, but, you know, Hey, you, you could, and if you get it, I'll play it. No problem. You know? Yeah. 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 So I, I've done that and I've, uh, it, there's a, there's a gig that we play uh, every summer. This gig at, down at the beach, it's um, Hampton beach is one of the beaches on our eight miles of, of seacoast here in, in New Hampshire. And, uh, and when I first moved to New Hampshire, I was playing at this one club. I got a gig with this cover band. It was a female fronted classic rock band. And we played there all the time. It's right next to this, uh, this, uh, uh, 
a, a, it's a venue for lack of a better term that has like, you know, B level touring bands kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so this club is right next door and you know, they always try to make their club the after party as people are coming out, the band's playing, you draw people in and the club packs up and, and you have a good night. And I've, I've talked about it. I'm sure we'll play more gigs there this year. So I, um, I played a bunch of those gigs with this band. That's kind of where I started with this band. And then, you know, we started playing other things. And played together for several years, and then that band sort of fizzled out. Um, I I had stopped playing with them. Uh, I guess before it fizzled out, maybe I don't. I'm, I'm not exactly sure where it all went, but I, I think they were still playing some gigs without me, which was fine. I mean, it, you know, there's yep. no no love lost there. But then, you know, Mike uh, in Fling tells me one day he's like, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm getting at some gigs at the Boardwalk," and I'm like, "Oh, that's cool. You know, I've played there before, and." I know how that night works there and I know how you got to be playing when the people come out. So make sure they know that I've played there uh, before because that'll help us get the gig, you know? And, and he said, Oh yeah, I already told him that I knew that you had played there. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. So, you know, he didn't just get us the gig and then kind of, you know, use this. It was like, that was his, his foot in the door. It's like, I wonder how Kelly would feel if she knew that. You know, like, would would she be upset about about us essentially saying, hey, you know, our drummers played there with this other band and now we can do it because we know yeah. what to do. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's like, huh, well, you know what? Uh, I didn't have the gig with that band, so I got the gig with this one. No problem. But, you know, that wasn't so much intentional as it was just kind of how it worked out. And I was like, huh, well, I, you know, um, yeah, I don't know that there's much there's much. I wouldn't I don't worry about that. But, yeah, if it's friends, um bouncing friends out of a gig um i pr- probably not i don't know how about you well I, you know obviously i have a little bit of experience in this so there's two things so one is um we have had <laughs> groups we have had groups go after certain gigs um knowing knowing yeah. you know that that there was an implication to it to, to our group right yep and uh, and um there's one group in particular around here that seems to do it a little bit more often than others. Yep. Um, and I believe I would have, I would have a decently hard time, but I think I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to put myself in a, sure. in a different place. If it was a good buddy, a good buddy of mine that had a regular gig, I think I can say pretty, pretty without hesitation. I would not do something right. Yeah. Right. I don't need a, I don't need a gig that bad. Right. But what happens is, is it's a pretty small community and, um, you know, even think of your situation. I mean, people are going to take from something what they're going to take from it. Yep. And do you want to be that band? Because it definitely affects things like, you know, how you're viewed in terms of like, like for example, when I get a referral gig, I know who I am absolutely not going to give it to. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you kind of, you kind of reap what you sow in, if you take this, this strategy. And so, you know, my buddy Steve was on the show and he's like, listen, the market figures this out. If they want a 10 piece horn band, they'll go to you. If they want a five piece cover band. And I think I've shared and said <laughs> that is totally Steve. He sees the best in everybody in all situations. <laughs> I am, I am the other side of the coin is I'm totally like prepared that somebody's going to do something not cool. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, you know, the, I, I think it's fair to say there's scorekeeping that goes on, right? Oh, totally. There, totally. 
Yeah. You, you, and you get what you sow. So if you're that band that is um, being kind of mercenary about this stuff, and, and and we've actually even had bands who drop our name to try and take gigs away from us, oh, which, yeah. So take, cool. take your situation, right? I'm like, oh, yeah, Paul said he's not doing it anymore or, you know, right. anything like that. And then you're really just not a cool guy. And then, you know, it, nobody's going to want to be around you. This it's pretty transparent. The tack that you take to running your business, your band is an extension of who you are. Yep. And, and it does performing, you know, performing music is a fairly transparent thing. If you're a jerk, it's going to catch up with you. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Right. But you know, if you take somebody like that, you know, has a big following or whatever, and sees that you're playing a, a gig somewhere and they just say, oh, you know what? We'd be a better fit for that and call up the club owner and say, look, you know, I know that, uh, you know, whatever the house rockers play there and they bring whatever, 200 people in uh, whenever they play. I can guarantee I'd bring 500 in because that's what happens with us. You know, you should have us play instead. It, it, I mean, it's not cool, but uh, the club owner might not be upset about that. Musical communities are small things. I mean, I when, you need, when you need other band members, yeah. when you need referrals for gigs, um, when, when you, um, you know, sub out a gig. So, you know, friends, it's easy to make enemies. Yep. Friends are pretty valuable. Um, run your business with integrity. Um, don't claim naivete, right? Don't sure. say, oh, I had, I had no idea. Right, right. If you're, if you're out booking a gig, you have an idea. Right. There's no way, right? Yeah. If you're in this and you're taking a check from someone, you've done a lot of calculation that's right. as to as to how to run your business. So and that's kind of my thing. It's like, you know, not a huge deal. And I, we're blessed. We have a pretty good calendar this year. And we, we've been on a good roll for several years. Yeah, but that's not blessed. And I'm not I don't mean to say that it, it's it's by, you know, by by mischievous means that you have it. But you worked hard to build that calendar. Right. That didn't just happen for you. You made fortunate. It, yes. You, I, yeah. We're, 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 we're fortunate to have so many gigs, but even as many gigs as I have, I know. when we don't get a gig that I was expecting to re get and I see, you know, certain groups are, you know, are, are kind of plying their trade this way, Yep. you know, and also if someone refers a gig to you, you damn better return the favor sometime, right? That's only, it's only good business. So I have another question for you. How do you feel about it when a friend's band calls you and says, hey, you know, I see that you play, you know, such and such a club, you know, once every six weeks. We'd love to get in there, too. Can you give can you give me the name of the, you know, contact information for the booker? Can we go another hour? Uh, Well, right. I mean, because I've I, I I don't think I handled this well. I get pretty closed down when those things happen and I, I shouldn't. But, you know. I have two parts of the answer, but this is maybe this is the next show. But, okay. but but the two parts of the answer are: I do feel do your own homework to run your business. If somebody else has kicked and scratched and clawed and and you know used a, used a contact or done what they can to get a contact to, to pitch their band, to just call and say, "Hey, give me a shortcut," that strikes me as not cool. Yep. Right now, philosophically, if somebody calls me and says, hey, I'm thinking about playing in in this place, can you tell me what it's like? That's a totally different thing. Right. But maybe that's a better way for someone to get a contact out of you, too. Yeah. I mean, actually, it it makes certainly makes a better conversation than someone wanting to take a shortcut and say, you know, 
you know, give me an easy path. Cause you know, like in any business, someone's little black book is their, their network is, is gold, right? You well, know? that's, I mean, if you go, uh, if we take this one level deeper and, and look at like non-compete stuff, the only thing that non-competes protect in all 50 States is typically a client list. Mm. That's it. Nothing else is sacred. The client right. list, the little black book, that's sacred. So yeah, you should protect it. Right. But so how, that's how, how I feel about how that. How crazy should you get about it? Yeah, I know. I know. I, I, and again, it depends. Has there been favors being exchanged between people in other ways? And who is the guy? And, yep. you know, if, if do I know him well enough that if I do him a solid, you know, is it fair that if I ever need a solid, something will come back the other way? So, you know, there, it's a moving scale of favors that, that you evaluate. Yep. But that's a so pretty I, big one to ask. Or at least it sounds like you I and I so. agree that that's the, for, to, to us. That's a pretty big one to ask. Yeah. yeah. It, and like you said, we, you said you froze. That's exactly the feeling I have is like, uh, because a, you're about to tell the guy, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to be a dick to you right now and not give you what you wanted, which, you know, right. right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's unfortunate, but I think <laughs> that's unfortunate I think, again. <laughs> I, well, I think, it's, maybe that's the way to have the conversation is to say, well, this oh, is about a, to get unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to use that line. Totally. There you go. Yeah. Well, cause it's, you know, yeah, you know, it's, a, but it's a tough thing, you know? And, and in those situations, if I feel like they're the right fit for the room, what I'll do is I'll say, let me give your information to them. They're protective about it, which is true. In a lot of cases, you know, the, the person who's booking is, you know, they reached out to us. This is how this worked. So let me give them your contact information and I'll tell them, you know, who you are and that you should book them and uh, or you should give them a look. And, and then you're going to take it from there and you know, they'll either, you'll either hear from them or not. So, so I have two last thoughts on this. Yeah. One is um, I personally, I need my relationships with the booking people to be like, I don't want to in, encumber it with any other favors or implications. So I, sure. you know, it's a really rare thing where I will give a direct referral, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, I have to know them pretty well and know that the product would be great and know like, especially with clubs, will they draw Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, if someone just says, hey, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to get one of your club gigs, you know, that that's a tough one. And yeah. I'll usually say, well, you know, they expect a draw. Are you able to do that? And I'll try and, you know, play the devil's advocate if someone's talking to me. Yeah. But yeah. And then, you know, the other thing is those relationships are pretty much golden. And, and uh, you know, you got to care for those things. Those are your clients. Would you ask for your, your clients for a favor? You probably would be pretty careful about it. So like I said, yeah, I, it, could, it, I could do this. You brought this up, you know, what, 45 minutes, 47 minutes into the show. That's right. Yeah. Um, this is actually a great topic that I actually have a lot of thoughts about. Um, we definitely need to spend more time on this one. Relationships with the, with, with, with the people that control the, uh, the bookings. I, I think yeah. it's a good, a good topic and, uh, and probably a good place to wrap up feedback yeah. at gig gab podcast, folks, gig folks is, so we're going to flub the intro. We're going to flub the outro, the middle. That was pretty good. So that's it. We're good. Yeah. We're good for 45 minutes solid in the middle. That's right. Yeah. You know, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. So uh, yeah, feedback at giggabpodcast.com. That's where you can shoot us your thoughts about all this. You can also find us on Facebook at gig gab podcast. Uh, you got anything else to share with them, Paul, before we no. send everybody on their way? I, we covered some good stuff today. I think we did folks. Thank you so much for, uh, for listening, subscribing, 
act uh, uh, engaging with us. I don't know what I was going to say there, but uh, engaging with us enough, is a good thing. Yeah. We'd love Out. to hear from you. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. See you, Dave.